Hello and welcome to the Pinch Magic podcast with me, Rebecca Anuin. Today I am joined by Bridget Supple, author of Birthkeeper of Bethlehem, A Midwife's Tale, and we're going to talk all things rites of passage, I suspect. And so we were just talking just before um, we started recording. I'm like, shush, let's get this on the podcast. Actually, this is good stuff. Um, So we were talking about your book, Birthkeeper of Bethlehem, and I was confessing that um, yours was the first non-fiction book that I had started to read this year, and we're in November. I I consume so much like learny stuff. And as soon as I opened the book and like read the first paragraph, my whole body went, oh, this is what it's like to be transported into another world where my brain isn't asked to learn something. And you were saying, yes, that's that's the reason you wrote the book, isn't it? Because you were, you say you were consuming so much and learning so much. So let's continue our conversation. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm like you. I am always listening to podcasts, reading books, and they're always about learning. So my field is birth, midwifery, early years, pregnancy, all that sort of thing. Um, so I'm always and you know, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm reading books, I'm reading papers. And actually, the way that if you look at how humans work, the way that we have learned throughout history is with oral stories. Mm. And I love, love a story where I learn something. And that's the beauty of books, isn't it? The beauty of books and storytelling is that you get to learn about different cultures, different customs. You get to stand in different people's shoes and get to think like other people. Um, and so I wrote the book I wanted to read which was about the things that interest me, about rites of passage, about transformation, about women, about journeys. And within it, if you read it, you're going to come out with a little bit of knowledge as well. Because I don't, sometimes I think we've forgotten that knowledge doesn't have to be presented in just a, this is a learning format, that actually the, the beautiful transformative power of stories um, it has always been how humans have worked. It used to be around the fire, and now it tends to be in our headphones as we uh, as we drive to work, or in my case, plod around the fields with the dogs during dog walking time. And that's when I put them on, and I and I'm standing in a field, but I'm in a different world, which is just the best. And I think that's so true about stories, isn't it? It's like I've read before, and I, sh- I always share on this podcast. It's like there are people out there that say one of the reasons that makes us human is our ability to share stories and we create stories like you say to educate but also to inspire to warn to uplift to motivate to to teach and we like pass on those information and I always think if you think of like the thing that you learnt most or your favorite teacher they had the ability to transport you to a different world it's like I remember my maths teacher he was like maths is an art and I didn't like maths. I'm rubbish with numbers. But I tell you what, I did really good in that class because I believed him. It was like, oh my gosh, maths is an art, isn't it? It's beautiful. And it took us out of that energy of like, you know, two plus two is this, and this is the system, and these are the processes. It's like, but look, it's glorious. And it was like, that's the story he told us. That's the story we believed. That's the story we move forward with. Um, so how did you get started in all things birthing? So that began with my journey into uh, motherhood. So I have four children. um, They're getting a bit grown up now. And 23 years ago, when I had my eldest, um, I had a a very typical, isn't it, an induced labour that ended in quite a traumatic um, delivery and birth. And it set me on a journey. Um, by the time I went on to have the other three, they were what are known as VBAC. So they were uh, straightforward births after cesarean birth after cesarean rather um but that that birth trauma the, the thing that happened during the birth the way that the whole thing unfolded and how it left me feeling afterwards was the beginning of a catalyst which i used to retrain as an antenatal teacher i've been working in hospitals and um, teaching for 20 years now um and and building communities and supporting other families as they go through this incredible rite of passage and working, you know, campaigning to try and make this a better experience. Mm. So that's how mine began. Um, And now I, you know, I work for NHS units across the country. I've worked in a major maternity unit for 20 years. I work for charities. I go into prison. I work with pregnant women in prison as well Um, and and work on a journal um, that, that reflects this, you know, the first a thousand days from pregnancy right up to age two. 
So what that has given me is this massive insight and experience into the lived experience of families as they go through this process. And it's an interesting word, isn't it, how birth has become a process, whereas actually it has always been one of the great rituals and rites of passage of being human. And at the moment, we treat it like a just a process that is to be almost endured um, to get a result. And so that's where all this came from. That's where it it sort of began, was in a, a traumatic beginning, but where that what the you know the the experience of that put me in a really good position to be able to support families who do have maybe more challenging things and to be inspired to make a difference in in how we look at and treat maternity it is one of i don't know it's such a for me it's such a weird thing because i never ever saw myself as ever having children and so i was like you're pregnant, not ill. You know, you know, it was like, how many people in the world are pregnant? And I was really quite dismissive of it until, ho, 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 I became pregnant myself. And I'm like, how do people function when they're pregnant? Because actually the hardest part for me was the very early pregnancy when I was so tired, but not showing, but I could barely walk a flight of stairs. You know, I'm like, oh, I remember I'd gone down to Cornwall to visit my family and we'd we're walking the sea cliffs. I mean, I grew up in Cornwall, walking all over the place. And I was walking up this like little bunch of steps to get from the beach up to the, the the coastal path and my sister's like what's wrong with you I'm like I'm pregnant and she was like what and I just remember feeling like like the most pathetic person in the world because I was just trying to live a normal like walking up the stairs um up the coastal path and I was so tired I mean obviously a few months later it got much better and I, f- I felt much more human but in that first point when you don't even I wasn't even looking pregnant it was it's such a toll on our bodies and I think you know me never being pregnant beforehand it was very easy for me to go oh my god you know everyone you know <laughs> not everyone obviously but you know so many people before you there are people giving birth in fields and just carrying on work was my very naive ignorant attitude and then I was pregnant and I was like oh my god this thing consumes everything it's like I, d- I lovingly described my little boy as the alien in me that was just <laughs> consuming me this like this little parasite because I mean that is what they are isn't it they're just like taking everything from you and it was for me it was it was a very interesting experience because for me it was like an entire identity shift um of being the person that's like I'm never having children I'm happy like never having children and there I was geriatric mother at 36 god the terms we use are just horrific aren't they yes geriatric mother I was like I'm only 36 keep your knickers on um and then having that entire identity shift and for me as well I I had a doula I had a birthing pool in my uh dining room we're very lucky here in the UK like my my area they were very very supportive of a home birth so they gave me the home birthing kit which had the gas and the air and like everything I needed and my midwife lived just down the road because we get a midwife here in the UK too for all of our American people listening and the day came when he my little boy was trying to arrive and I had a different midwife and she said you need to go to hospital his heartbeat's not doing too well. And I was like, no, because I, I refused to go to hospital. I did um, breathing classes as well. You know, I, I did the whole thing. I was like, I was here for it all. And I, I refused to go to the hospital when I was pregnant because I was petrified of hospitals. I, I went to a hospital once and to visit a friend and they were having their blood pressure taken and they had to hold my hand because I was nearly fainting at the blood pressure monitor enough. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to hospital. That's not the place for me. That yes. is not going to work. That is, that is not going to work for me. So guess, guess where I ended up having my child. It's like everything I've been anti in my life. It's like, and here you are, Rebecca, here we go. And so the, I, the national health service, I know it gets a lot of grief, but that maternity unit were amazing so I, I also ended up having um an emergency c-section is what I had we were all fine everything was fine but again I had the the massive because you t- talk about this is another transformational power of birth I had the massive identity change of never thinking I was ever going to be a mum because I by choice and then finding out it was like oh I'm choosing to have a child now that's a little bit weird 
and then going, oh, I'm going to have like a nice home birth with water and candles and doulas and midwives to having like a, an emergency, like be, being in hospital. And I heard all the alarms going off and I thought I was laying there going, oh, that poor person who's got the alarms. And suddenly the crash cart comes to me and I'm like, yeah. what's going on? And I'm, I still remember this. I was wheeled down, down the corridor and this beautiful nurse says, cover her bottom because you've got the gowns with the splits at the back haven't you and I'm on my side and I'm thinking really you think I care about who sees my bum right now <laughs> you know I'm off for emergency <laughs> surgery and so it was it was just all of these things but feeling very very supported but again another identity piece of I'm going to do this myself I'm going to do it at home and I'm going to have like this lovely like orgasmic birth and ended up you know it was still a beautiful process but it was yeah. like totally out of my hands and really the beginning of a a real rite of passage into my my own power but not the way I expected no no and I think that's the thing, one of the things that I really want to write you and I do love your bottom story and bless your wife <laughs> for trying the dignity of it I was like oh just bless your beautiful heart and also going I really don't care about my bum hanging out of this dressing gown right now like this this unit right now <laughs> I love I love the fact that she cared about your dignity. I, that, you know, that, I was like, oh, beautiful. what a beautiful lady. But that's the thing. It is, it has been, it is such an enormous rite of passage. And we're mm. seeing a big movement across uh, sort of women's uh, events like um, period, like the menopause. So you saw it in the red tent movement. We're mm. seeing it now for the menopause as recognizing that this is a very, specific experience that alters us and forms us and is huge in terms of how we develop as as growing uh, growing into whether it's growing from um, girls into women or into women into you know the uh, the later stage of life um, in terms of menopause and birth has sort of been overlooked in that so it is fantastic the big spotlight at the moment is on menopause and I think that actually you know everything you've said and it doesn't matter how your baby is born Mm -hmm. it is still this huge transformation I think we're not preparing um sort of women going into um into motherhood about this incredible identity change that you talk about, but also honouring this rite of passage, because it is another one. And it isn't for everybody. You know, it's not that you're not anything if you don't choose to become a mother. And if you had never chosen to become a mother, that's absolutely fine too. And I think that one of the, the great advances that we have is the ability for women to go, actually, this isn't for me. Yeah, to choose. Yeah. To choose. It's so, so important because being a reluctant or a disinterested or a um, a feeling trapped parent is so damaging to absolutely everybody. I mean, nobody wins in that scenario. Mm. Uh, but when that pathway is, when you're on that pathway, when it has been chosen, oh my goodness, it's such a huge moment. It is like the menopause in terms of stripping away and rebuilding. It is like when we first um, begin periods and all that change that comes with it and how you think about your body, but also the messages that you had in early life about, say, starting the period. Now, I came from a very positive family where when my sister and I began ours, it was actually celebrated. Yeah? Oh, amazing. Yes. Which yeah. back in, you know, the 1980s wasn't the norm. That was not a thing. That <laughs> it's was more than I had. It was like, oh, that's it for the rest of your life now. <laughs> Get on yeah, with it. Was, you know, <laughs> where sort of, it, was, it wasn't, they wouldn't even explain what was going on. And it was treated yeah. like this great curse that had just come upon them. And actually, that's that's not the whole truth, is it? That's not really what the story's about. Mm. And that's exactly how I feel about sort of birth. And I think that if you look across the globe and throughout history, there have always been so many um, cult, you know, protections around women in in pregnancy, uh, sort of uh, rituals and things that were done around birth because it was recognised, and you know, quite rightly. Um, feared. I talk about it quite a lot in the birth that historically some cultures it was referred to as one foot in the grave time because it was dangerous. Now we are very lucky, you and I and our babies are both alive because we could go to cesarean birth when we needed to which is just amazing Um, but it's that that element of, of danger historically must have added such a huge 
different um, pressure on it. And those that skills and that knowledge and that wisdom that we had to have was so, so important because you didn't have the options that we have now to just get these babies out if things go a bit differently. So, um, yeah, sorry, go on. Go on, no, go on. You, no, as I can say, it's so interesting when you look at, I mean, obviously statistics tell whatever story you want to read, but it's like when you, I've done much more research since I'd had a baby, but anyway, um, when I looked at that and it was things like, you know, a woman would be like eight, nine, 10 centimetres dilated, a person she didn't know would come into the room that she was about to give birth in and suddenly everything closes back up again. And it's like, how in your work, how important do you think that energy of support and a safe nurturing environment is? You know, because obviously on the here on the pinch of magic podcast we often talk about magic but in within that there's that energy of like witchery and women being the wisdom keepers and the holder of the herbs and in the olden days days gone by it would have been the air quotes witches really just like the herbalist of the town that would have birthed the people but they also would have buried the people you know Mm -hmm. and because the women are at the beginning and at the end historically that does put those women with that knowledge in a position of power, which has then been persecuted over time. And then, of course, everything became sterilised is best. Now, of course, we do want germ-free energy, but, you know, to be able to birth in a way that feels supportive and nourished rather than on a conveyor belt, surely must you must see that in your work. That must make a difference to a person's experience of birth, I'm assuming. Oh, categorically, categorically. <laughs> You know, on every level. So if we were talking spiritually, it makes a huge difference to women if they know, say, their midwife before that mm-hmm. same midwife day when they birth their baby and looks after them postnatally. And for those of you who are big fans of science, the gold standard in terms of evidence base is that women who have continuity of care, who they know. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, I'm going with the midwife model. And I, I get that in, in, say, for your American audience, it would be your... um obstetrician gynecologist um but in the uk we have the midwifery model which is which is found from an evidence point of view to be the gold standard that you know your midwife before you build up a relationship with them they are there when you birth birth the baby and you see them afterwards and that it is known that when women get scared when something um doesn't feel quite safe or quite right or something they doesn't know comes in the room their body and it's a prehistoric response will be like okay we are no longer safe to give birth and absolutely could stop <laughs> yeah no, that, yeah completely now you're absolutely right historically um birth would have been attended by women it was men were not in birth unless it was an absolute emergency and so right i say it's the oldest profession is mm. far and away of women who knew how to um, help women birth babies. And you're quite right, this knowledge of herbs and food as medicine and techniques to help babies survive, because human babies have always been important to a tribe, a village. And the mothers are, we need them alive. So learning these skills to help protect babies. This is what my book is about. It's about midwifery. The story is of Salome, who is the midwife who's there when Mary gives birth to Jesus. And if, if something in your head is going, hang on a second, I have watched many in nativity and there was no midwife there. I'll come back on that. It's the midwife. <laughs> yeah, but, I might sneak one in my kids' nativity at school this year. Like, sneak a little extra person in. <laughs> so, but they were always there. They tended to be there at birth and death. And you are absolutely right. The, the midwives were tended to be the keeper of knowledge in terms of herbs. And I think it's really interesting using food as medicine, but also techniques to turn babies who were in awkward positions. Mm-hmm. And this, then they would support all the women. They would all, it, through giving birth, but they would also quite often be the ones who, as you say, laid out the bodies and did that. Now we see it. There was a deliberate, deliberate move. Um, to to take that power off women because they earned money from doing this. And they weren't necessarily paid. They might be paid in kind, but they formed a task within the community. And there was it was a land grab effectively by the, the medical profession in terms of, and this is the fledgling ones um, going back hundreds of years, where women were demonized for healing. There was a, a Catholic church um, ruling that suggested that if you if you healed somebody, if you used herbs to heal somebody, that was that was witchcraft and you should be put to death for that. So to actually help somebody 
could have you condemned. And it was really to take this control that women had. And they had so much influence in the, in the villages and they had this potential for making money. And in for the first hundred years or so of, of women being treated by doctors when medical knowledge was so appalling, more died. Mm. Because they didn't know what they were doing and they had no knowledge. They didn't anything. sanitize anything. There was like cross contamination of everything. Yeah. yeah. Germ three was like a distant future oh, thing. No, no, we're not even talking about when they went into yeah. hospital. We're talking about just just not having any idea. So it was it was a deliberate, deliberate move to take authority, power, and positions off women and to make money out of it. Even yeah. that far back. Even that far back. Yeah. There is a, a um a wonderful book, if you're if you're readers haven't read it yet, called I've got to get the title the right way around, Witches, Nurses, Midwives. Oh yes, I've got Witches, that. Midwives yes. nurses. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's only a small oh. book, but it's really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Some combination of those three words. Yeah. And it it runs through this history and how it was. And what what really is so heartbreaking is all that lost knowledge, all that wisdom and all of that. And you see women now, they're fighting really hard, like you, hiring a doula, somebody who you will mm. know before, will be you'll know at the birth and tend to look after you postnatally as well. Um, and women are increasingly, and birthing families are increasingly trying to to claw that back in some way. Um, but we have a long way to go. Now, in the in the book, The Birthkeeper of Bethlehem, there's the the midwife it's it's her story. It's her story. And we see her, I think you said it before, at the beginning and at the end. So this was a, one of the other threads that I wanted to write to was the lost story of women. So it's it's Jesus being born in the company of women. And it's also the women who were there at the very end of his life. So it's not a book about Jesus, but that's it's a, effectively a love letter to birth and midwifery and the, the transformation of of um, of the rite of passage of birth, this ancient wisdom that we've lost, but also this loss of women out of history and story. And what that's meant when you move forward in time of how women have been treated by religions, if you've written them out of the initial story when they were there right at the very start and right at the very end, you can see how it's so easy then to disempower women within uh, society, religions, and all sorts from there. So I wanted them to write back in. So what I was trying to say before was there, there's no midwife in the nativity. But the way to look at it is this. If Mary and Joseph made it to Bethlehem, and the story says that they did, yes, if they got to Bethlehem, there is absolutely no way that a Jewish man would be present at a birth. Because once Jewish women go into labour, they go into a state of yodlet where they need to be separate. They need to be separate from men. So the local midwife would have been called. And I love the idea of her having this woman arriving in labour, which would be very strange to be moving a woman at that time. And, you know, the, your head's going, well, they had to move for the census. Not really, because the Romans thought women were property. So she wouldn't have actually had to be there. So the midwife's thinking, well, why have you brought her? Why is she moving this close to labour? Um, stables, stables, most houses had them. They were attached to the house and it's where you, you stored things and brought animals in, in, um, bad weather. So rather than being this remote little hut on a hill with just the two of them in there, they're in the town and it's an entirely different story while she works out. But we also see her birth all, you know, the women of Bethlehem. So we see a number of births in there as well. And that's where you get this you know, the, the herbs, the skills that she has to turn babies, the use of birthstones and birthing stools and all of this stuff that we've lost. Um, but what's, what's a you birthstone? Birthstone. So a lot, you'll see it in quite a few cultures where women stand on stones to give birth. They stand, they can they stand on them or kneel on them. And it, birthing stools have always been, um, used across the globe throughout history. You see them in all sorts of mm. But if you think, for uh, say the Israelites, if they were, you know, in the desert for the forty years, they wouldn't have been able to necessarily carry that much stuff. And in the same way that Moses had tablets with information um, of how to live, there are these birthing tablets, almost these stones that women put oh, there. Okay. And if if you, I love the idea that you would stand on stones because they are used. They're used across the globe um, historically. Um, imagine putting your feet into the same space that other women have birthed on. 
and right. seeing that connection to all the women who have birthed before. So the birth keeper would also hold the stones. She'd know the wisdom. She'd know the techniques for moving uh, babies. And we, we have this really, you know, an entirely different story going on when you look at it with a whole new light, which is the, the, the experience of women. And how do you think? I suppose there's two questions there. If women had their rightful places in yep. these in these books, um, you know, in in the stories as like the bringer of life and you know the the person helping transitions, how do you think our society would be different if women had always air quotes had a seat at the table instead of being written out of history, and knowing that where we are <laughs> we are where we are right now, if women reclaimed this knowledge and power maybe not to do it for themselves but you know to go oh yes actually there is a knowledge and power within a community and i can draw on that that power or like even having like we know people have birthed before us but like to stand on the stone of a woman that's birthed before us or to have someone there who you trust implicitly that has delivered many 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 babies in front of you and we took back that power and that wisdom how do you think society or the future could change because of it well, two things. If you go back to prehistory, um, then they were mostly matriarchal goddess worshipping mm. societies. So that's really important. That's actually, you could argue, more normal for humans is to be in that um, very much the, the mother, the great mother, that kind of worship. That's We did that for longer, yeah. we, didn't we? That's the thing. And in those societies, you know, fertility, connection to cycles, it's all about cycles, it's all about rituals, and it is all about the creation and this, this, the, the birthing, um, power. So whether that is to the universe, to the planet, but also to human infants. The thing that changes if we returned to a really powerfully supportive, knowledgeable but continuity of care model is that you don't have as many women traumatized by their birth the stripping of power that women get during birth is not an accident i don't think it is an accident that women are made powerless in birth that they lie on their back that they are put into clinical environments that do not encourage birth and i know stirrups yeah oh yes yeah i've never seen those in birth but, but everything we know about birth physiology suggests that women should not be lying on their back, that they are better being in an upright position. And I'm not saying that very occasionally women don't need to be on their back. We don't need to use force. We don't need to use something to get babies out and save babies' lives. That's, it's not a, an anti, um, you know, doing all those sorts of things when necessary. Hello, but, us two C-section people. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. But we know that birth goes better when women are upright. They feel safe. They feel supported. They feel looked after. Um, and yet women lie on their back. Why? Because it's easier for the easier person for the caring for them to see, because they can see what they're doing and they can see it does not help the baby. It does not help the mother. We put them in environments that are clinical. Now, everything we know suggests that women labor better in an oxytocin, which is the lovely hormone that you have when you feel relaxed, when you are, uh, well, it's the same one we have when we have an orgasm. You know, it's, there's, there's conditions that this, this goes better in. And yet we put them in a hospital with bright lights and clanky, um, stuff. And we wonder why it doesn't, it doesn't work. And this is the thing. It's been, birth has been taken over. It's been depersonalized. So often it's scheduled in women are, it's been completely stripped of all that ritual and sacredness. And I would argue that birth now happens to women in Mm. so many situations. And this model, it started, it's controlled, it's medicated. And that's not a flipping accident because when women have a really good birth experience, it is transformative. They feel powerful. They feel, um, confident in themselves it can undo harm that has been done to them women who have for example had previous trauma or something to do with um uh abuse to their body it can put all that and and help them reclaim their body as something good and powerful and theirs if that makes sense and when women are well supported and they have a good birth experience they come out stronger yeah 
much more equipped. So everybody, whole of society wins when we've got parents going into parenting, feeling better about themselves, not being traumatized. Um, and then the babies do better and every, you know, literally everybody wins. And that's how it, it, it has this ripple effect. There is a lovely phrase, you know, a gentle earth begins with a gentle birth. That how we start life. So many people argue very, very strongly for a good death. Yes, that mm. how the world matters. And it matters to the person who is dying, but it also hugely matters to the people who are left behind, that their death was as good as it could be. Yeah, I would argue that stands just as strongly at the start. And we see it in the UK, those who don't know, we are being rocked by maternity scandals. Um, and what you're seeing in those maternity scandals is the abuse of women during birth. I mean, women being disrespected, um, babies being harmed by unnecessary interventions, or um, but it's mostly the 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 terrible bullying and, and awful treatment of women in labor that keeps, keeps, keeps coming out in these maternity scandals. So one, there's the lack of safety, and two, there's the way we treat women. And as I said before, I don't think it is an accident that women have been made powerless in the birth room because it, it it takes away this great transformative experience. So when I went into hospital to have my little boy, um, I didn't actually think I was, I thought I was going in there to have a, check, a scan and then I thought I was coming home. So I didn't even take my hospital bag with me. Oh, the naivety of me. And whilst I had that, I had two really incredible nurses, one who stayed by my side all night long checking the heartbeat. And she was just that every, I'd like, I'd been in labor for like three and a half days. I was like almost delirious. And every time I kind of opened my eyes and looked, she was just there scanning the paperwork. So, um, so I was actually in hospital in a bed. And then had the, the emergency, all the emergency alarms go off. But when I yeah. when I walked into hospital, luckily I didn't hear this. My doula was dealing with things for me. Um, she there was a nurse went, oh, these people that think they can birth at home, they think it's so easy, don't they? And I didn't know that they had said that until like months and months and months later. And I was like, wow, I'm glad I didn't hear that because <laughs> I was so tired. I might have just walked out of there myself if I could have actually walked out that moment. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, but that, there is that, you know. It is down to people, isn't it? Yes. It's like yeah. the whole experience is down to people. Luckily, I hadn't heard that. I kind of got a sense of it, but I blocked it out pretty quickly. But the other people that were there for me were just phenomenal. <laughs> you know, that one woman was just like there reading the scans, watching the heartbeat, watching the heartbeat. And then the other lady is like, oh, come up her bottom. Um, so unfortunately, it shouldn't be down to luck, though, should it? No. It shouldn't be down to just getting the right person on the right day. Do you think? We are still perpetrating that denial of power from women, or do you see it coming back? Oh, women are women are really, really trying to get it back. You'll see that 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 so many women are engaging with now that they are hiring doulas, and doulas now do what midwives used to do, which was get to know the women before be there. Um, I would argue that doulas are are the ones who are bringing in so many more traditional practices again because midwives aren't allowed. It's not the midwives don't want to, and I think it's worth flagging up in defence of, of the lovely midwives, uh, you know, across the the world, is that in the UK for every 30 student midwives that qualify, 29 are leaving the profession. Yeah, that's how, yes. Wow. Very difficult it is in midwifery at the moment. Midwives are burnt out. They're 29. 30. So 30 student midwives will qualify. At the same time, 29 are leaving the the profession. Wow. It's it's a difficult environment for them as well. So that's a, that's a, that's a, institutional problem not a not a problem with midwives that's a systemic mm. that's what yeah, we've yeah. um and i think that that makes such a a huge difference but women are starting to speak up yeah we're starting to speak up and the people are accessing for everything from hypnobirthing you'll see people bringing in yet yeah, lots and lots of old you know older techniques and new techniques and finding ways to reclaim their power and the conversations that are going on are huge and it needs to be said and and I think that it's, you know, and, and this is an aside from the book, but if you, in the UK, we spend double the amount on litigation, on paying for damaged um, babies and mothers, double what we pay 
for maternity services. So I can't make the figures, but if you imagine that the figure for maternity services is four billion a year, we spend eight billion repairing the damage. Now that's the short-sightedness of that is just staggering. Surely you have a couple of expensive years where you front load all the money in midwifery, but then you're not paying and you're not destroying people's lives. Not destroying people's lives, yeah. What do you think the one biggest change people could make in their own lives for like taking back that power and reconnecting to those rites of passage? Well, I think women are. I'm mm. seeing, so it's it's people women in, in a way that I've not seen in so much. Say 15 years ago, you didn't see it. So 15 years ago, I would be 20 years ago, where I am, I would be the only person at the uh, at the solstices on top of a hill greeting the sunrise. It would be just me. <laughs> I'm ready to drag out of bed with a promise of hot chocolate at the top of the uh, top of the hill if they came with me. Top of the long men. I think I was. I was the village hippie, as they used to call me in those days. Now I would be thought of with a different language, but then it was just described as being that. Now there are there are lots of, of women who are on the mountain. Um, in, or on the hills in the morning um, of, the, of the rituals. And I think women, and more so than anything, are connecting to the rituals of cycle. They are getting back in touch with um, the changing of the seasons in a way that I you just didn't see 20 years ago. And it's 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 not just one generation, you're seeing it across the age groups as well of women doing this. So I'm in my mid-50s. But I'm seeing my my you know my daughters and and their generation they're doing it and I don't know it's probably influenced by me but but it's their their generation it's not just you know this particular line um, and I see that it's women are reconnecting with the thing they are they are recognizing that the world has ignored the fact that they are women and we have this these different um, elements to it like going through periods which is so cyclical isn't it it's so cyclical and women are again looking at these things and they're going back to them and this beautiful reconnection with the earth which you're seeing so much of and it's not necessarily in terms of gardening or things like that but getting out being in it so i think in our older generation you said connect with the earth they'd go and get an allotment which their connection to land and that's mm. that is how do you think that connection to land supports a woman say with her period or with birth is it just that connection to the cycles to know that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves is it like knowing that the herbs and the cycles can like support us is it that actually i, I believe this to be true um that um more people give birth under a full moon, you know, because I will go into labour under that full moon <laughs> energy, you know, if you look at some of the stats. And it's like, is it that connection to something older than ourselves? Is it, what, what, how do you see that fitting into these things? I think, I think it, it is, it is connected, it is all of those things. So you're seeing a, uh, a move towards people returning to things like learning more about herbs, learning mm. more about, um, uh, the use of, and I keep going back to it, but food as medicine and that sort of thing, but connection to where the food comes from. I think also it is a great, it, it's the, it's the, it's quite a rebellion when so much of our lives are on social media and online and in virtual meetings and, or you socialize with your friends and the way that my children interact with their friends is entirely different to how I did. You know, we mm. would talk, we would phone each other out. Remember, you have to speak to somebody's parent before they could be put on the phone. Hello, Mrs. S. That's the worst, wasn't it? Can such and such come to the phone, please? <laughs> and this absolute, you know, you're going to be put on the spot and would you drop your friend in it by saying the wrong thing about what you yeah, did yeah. yesterday? Um, and my children have none of that. And they text each other and they send each other pictures and they don't connect, I would say. And I know we worry terribly about them and this is not what this podcast is about. But but I think that what you're seeing is they're finding different ways to form those connections. Mm. And you'll see it is it is embracing ritual, so many things in a younger generation that they know about things like journaling and, and about cycles and about using different, what would have historically been looked at as something that falls under the magic category 
they are accepting and they are embracing and they are moving forward with. And it all ties in with um, this, these two worlds, this very online virtual present world and the very real world connecting with land and outside and all of these things and the rituals. And I think, you know, it, you, that we sometimes we don't give them enough credit, do we? They're not <laughs> done. <laughs> they are not oh way more savvy one of the like when hearing you say that i'm like oh my gosh you know that is so true because there are so many people out there that are like oh i can do like a bit of a candle spell or i could do some journaling at the full moon i can do all these things and in and of themselves you could see you know muggles out there going what are they doing but every time they do that every time they make a choice for them every time they connect to what they want every time they look at the moon and go actually how do I feel under this moon or every time they light a candle to go this is what I'm wishing for or this is what I'm hoping for they are calling back pieces of their power regardless of how it's seen in the the wider context regardless if it's once a month under a full moon or just like every time they're in trouble they're like oh I, I need some help quick get some herbs and light a candle even if they don't really understand the the history and the context behind it all they are calling back their power and that's what I love about it and I think like that's one of the things I'm sensing that you are a huge advocate for is of calling back our power to remember that you know Sometimes we have a choice. Emergency C-section, maybe not so much, but I could have stayed at home and taken my chances, but I did choose to go into hospital, you know, but we have those options. And as, you know, as much as there is awfulness going on as you're sharing, also that medicine is magic too. You know, oh, no, and, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I, I say in this book, babies died, you know, not in, mm. in the book, but, but they, they did. It was a worrying yeah. time. It is wonderful that we have these things. And the argument is not about the safety of medicine. It's about mm. the 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 conveyor belt but it should be with shouldn't it with, not yeah, instead absolutely. of yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely but I think you're right I think you know that that there is a generation of young people now who understand this concept of manifesting mm. and thinking about that and that is it is a call to your power it is a call to a magic it is a call to a something of 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 belief in the ability to and yes. that's huge, isn't it? It is huge. So it starts in so many small, in small ways. And I think that, um, that you know, the, the, one of the aims of birth, the birth keeper book was to try and remind people. And it's like a remembering. I hope mm. you, people talk about it being remembering when they read it of this wisdom, of this innate wisdom of our bodies. Now, Birth doesn't always go to plan, and not not because women's bodies don't know what to do, because there are lots of things at play. There's the position of the baby. There's all sorts of things that can. But actually, one of the things that has always struck me is that wherever you go in the world, whether it's a first baby or a fifth baby, women do exactly the same. They move their bodies in the same way. It's like a dance of labor. And no one has taught them how to do this. If you let a woman labor instinctively, her body knows what to do. Now, as I say, there are other things at play in a birth that can complicate it and how marvelous that we used to have skilled midwives and now we do have cesarean birth if we need them. But the the wisdom is in the body. It's Mm. there. We don't have to tell our body how to grow a baby in a placenta, how to keep it nourished. Sorry. And it, the body is there. And that's one of the things I want people as well to read it and remember. And that that remembering comes into so many other things as well, doesn't it? Parts of your life. Yeah. Sorry. You were no, no. I was just going to say, and I think that's the key thing though, isn't it? It's like, this, this might sound a little bit bizarre, but for us to be able to remember what our bodies are doing, we have to be happy to be in our body. We have to be happy to be embodied and present. And in a world where there is so much trauma, in a world where there is so much pain in our body, and it can be a source of so much pain, it might have experienced so much pain, in a world where we are always comparing ourselves to other people, um, or where we have been encouraged to compare ourselves to other people, it's like, a lot of people aren't comfortable in their bodies. And so then they distrust their body. So then they're like, I don't know what to do. Tell me. And so then they are looking to the people in the white coats, which, you know, hopefully know what to do. And hopefully you get a good person and not someone having a bad day. But when we can, like you say, when we can remember, like viscerally remember, not intellectually and just go, oh yeah, that makes sense. But to know that in our blood and bones, I think everything changes. And I think like we were saying about, when 
a lot of my clients are kind of like ish my age, like mid forties and older. And I'll say something to them like, what is it you really want? And they're like, I don't know. Cause they've forgotten what they want because for t- so long they've been told who they should be, what success looks like. They should be grateful for this, that, and the other. They've done what they should have been to be a good girl. And they suddenly get to like 45, 55, 65 and gone, how did I get here? I had dreams of being a poet, um, you know, in Paris and suddenly they're, you know, I don't know, something the opposite of that. But when we have our younger people going, actually, this is what I want. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, yes, they have that. And it's like, how can we get them to keep that? You know, and if even if it's like teaching them that, you know, your period is a really brilliant way of understanding your own body, well, they're going to be with those hormones for a very long time. And every time they have a, a period, it might be a little bit annoying, but they can might just remember like, oh, I, I could do this or I could do some intuition or I should rest or I need to do this a little bit more. Or I need to eat these kinds of food to nourish myself. It keeps them back in control of their own body, knowing that they have a choice. You can ignore it or, and then you might feel a little bit more tired, but you understand the consequence on why. You understand yeah. that the changes in estrogen and testosterone throughout your cycle make you feel physically different. And yeah. so you're not going to be on the whole time. So when society says, keep going, keep going, keep going, or you've had a baby, you've been off for a week, get back to work. Luckily, we're not quite that bad in the UK. Um it's like we understand actually maybe there is something called a fourth trimester and actually maybe I just do need to rest and recover regardless of whether it's a joyful and blissful experience or whether it's a bit more traumatic and reconnect us and reestablish that remembering to our own bodies to go oh my god here is the wisdom this is where I store this because in my work I see so much trauma stored in the body that it shows as ailments later on yes very, very much. And now science is catching up to go, oh, yes, emotions do affect the body. And you're like, really? Well done. High five for catching up eventually. But it's like we do store that in our bodies. But when we can take back, like I was going to say control, and I'm not sure that's quite the right word, but when we take back that remembrance to go, oh, yes, I can take it on, but also my body can release. Yes, I can do great feats and and it's okay to rest and like nourish and restore myself because the cycles and the seasons show us that, that there is a time to be the sun and glorious going, 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 going. And there's a time to go, oh, it's hibernation time. Let's hide under the soil. You know, it's like we have all of that within us. In fact, we have those four seasons in one month if you still have a menstrual cycle. That's literally what I'm going to say is that we, we reflect it every single month. Mm. The winter where you just want to stay in and light a fire and be cosy to the planting of the seed in spring yeah. to the summer where everything comes in the harvest. And we literally have that on a four week cycle. And yet all of that knowledge was just stripped away when women were written out of the story. And this is the other thing that I tried to put in. So Salome, who is the midwife who is there, the, the when I first when my book came out the same month that it came out after I've had this story and I've been deep diving into and trying to find out about her and everything they found her too <laughs> two thousand years so what happened to me was Salome literally appeared in my head fully formed I knew who yeah. she was and then I found out that there had been a midwife at the birth called Salome and I was a bit like oh that's a bit but then I thought well maybe I heard it somewhere and it was just floating yeah. around head looking for something to connect with but then the month that my book came out, they found her tomb. Well, honestly, you should have Amazing. seen me. I was going around going, I don't believe it. The serendipity of this. This is just incredible. The serendipity or magic. Let's just. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes. yeah. And she knocks, knocks, knocks. She's like, come on, come on, lady. Get writing, please. I'm about to be found. <laughs> and, they, and, they found her and what it turned out was that she was actually venerated after her death. She she was a really important figure in the surprise, whole. Surprise, surprise. And, and yet forgotten. And yet mm. And that's one of the things that I write to. I write to uh, the women being there at the beginning and at the very end. And it's so important because it comes back to our women being represented in religion, in society, in everything. That if you write them out the story, which the victors tend to do, don't they? They always write the story. Then they are lost. So reclaiming that story, um, humanizing the story as well because it's a very human story and if you you know if you forget that um i think that that you, you miss the point to be honest mm-hmm. the point of it. um but 
but certainly I, I think that Another thing, and you might not have got to this point in the book yet, was I dealt with the with the with the three kings, the major, because they always annoyed me, to be honest. You know, rocking up, giving gifts, <laughs> and then disappearing. And every Christmas, don't you? You see the little cartoon that goes round that the, the yeah. white women arrive with casseroles and nappies and and a glass of wine. <laughs> That's more sensible. So the the three kings really bugged me. I thought, do I write them in? I don't. I don't know whether I do. They're part of the story that people recognise. Um, and then it dawned on me, it absolutely dawned on me, and I had a complete moment. And I have checked, and to my knowledge, nobody else has, has ever thought or written this way. But I realised, and I was stood in the middle of a field um, with the dogs running around, terrorising the rabbit population, and I'm literally stood there thinking, that's it, that's it. <laughs> and doing that thing where you phone yourself and leave yourself a vote message. And the idea was this, the if you look at what the Magi were, they were advisors to kings. Yeah. So they were advisors to kings. They were in court and they were experts on maths or theology or something. Magic. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. And magic. But they are teachers. They would be the ones who help make kings. So they come. And, and of course, they would have arrived about two years after the baby was born. So we've got this passage of time in Bethlehem while um, the midwife is is learning with and growing with all these families. And then they look at this very simple carpenter and and Mary, and they were expecting a king. And they're like, "Well, you can't raise this child. We believe this child is special. We'll take him." And so we write into the story of them not just arriving to give gifts and leave, but the gifts that they give are the knowledge that they have. Does that make sense? Mm. It could, if you anybody wanted to, there's a story in there of this is what happened between the age of 13 and 30. Does that make in the, in the story of Jesus where he disappears and then comes back fully formed? And I also, I loved the idea because one of the things that's always fascinated me is that Ethiopia had Christianity from 1 AD, so right from the very start. And we do tend to think of, of Christianity being across Africa with the great white saviors arrived with the news and, and spread it. Well, in the story, one of the book, one of the, the magi is from Ethiopia. And I love the idea of Jesus being taught by a black man, as opposed to the white saviors <laughs> coming into Africa to save yeah. the day with the whole thing. Does that make sense? So it's, there's, there was a chance to, um, enrich the story and look at it again and write in the people who were written out of it. And I say the story isn't really about it. That's such a very small bit in a big book. But I think it it speaks to how the victors write the story. That makes sense. And it goes so, back to where we started about why stories are so important. Why stories are so yeah. important. Yeah. And even and I- even down to like the story that you tell yourself about the birth you want. And then the story you have to tell yourself about the birth you've actually had, <laughs> you know, the one the child might have planned for you. And all of those stories are so important, aren't they? The, you know, words are so important, but the, the stories are just so essential. And I think we do, and we remember stories so much more than we remember the textbooks that we that we read. We remember the story, remember how stories make us feel. Mm. oh I read loads of like books on birth I can't remember a single thing about it but I can remember all the stories the other mothers shared with me yes you know the good stuff and the horror the horror stuff they shared after thankfully after I had a a baby but you know there's like oh you because again going back then it's only like nine ten years ago but everything was so sanitized and it was like actually the reality of birth is after you have a baby, you're then going to bleed for about another two weeks. And it's like, what? No one told me that was going to happen. And it's like those kind of, and I'm like, geez, if no one had told me that, the hospital would just send me home. And I'd be like, oh my God, am I, is this normal? Am I supposed to bleed afterwards? You know, and all of those kind of things. Um, yeah, it's like we, we need women to tell us that because the reality wasn't getting shared anyone else. It certainly isn't like, you know, in the regular places you might look for information. And hospital makes birth so sterile, tries to. And birth isn't. Birth is sweaty and <laughs> raw and wonderful. Yeah. But sex, sex is meant to be, you know, sweaty and and uh, free and just, you yeah. know, all-encompassing and occasionally just absolutely fantastically bodily tingling. And that's the same with birth. But it's been stripped and made this very thing. And that's, again, not an accident if you can. 
you know. Well, if you think about it, the way that they teach sex in schools has been stripped and sanitized and all of those things. Yeah. And it's like my little boys get into the age where obviously the playground whispers for all the kids that have got older brothers and sisters <laughs> and we're having the letters from school going, oh, we're going to be talking about sex. And he said something about sex the other day. And I said, yeah, but you have to remember as well. It's absolutely amazing and wonderful. And people do it just for fun, not because they want children. And it's not really appropriate for you to know all of the, you know, the details just yet because of your age. And I was explaining about like the emotions that go with it. And he was like, yeah, whatever, mum. But I, I'm like, I want him to know that it's not just about the birds and the bees, because that also creates a different kind of issue around it. And so, like you say, as we bring back, like, the tr truth, I don't know if that's the right word, but as we unsanitize sex, because it is messy and sweaty and hot and you know, sometimes amazing and sometimes a bit like, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, but it's like, as we bring back the reality of that in a world that wants you to think it should be something else. And it's the same with birthing, isn't it? It's like we reclaim the power of periods. We can reclaim the power of our bodies. We can reclaim the power of, um, of saying yes or saying no, you know, of autonomy yeah. over our body. It's like that real authority in our own body and reclaim like good sex, like good birth, good sex, good death. Let's make it all great, shall we? Instead of just going, oh, well, it's something that just happens to me. It's like absolutely not. It's like all of those things we should be, unless of emergency cases, all of those points we have to be or should be like, front and center of that thing whatever yes. it may be yeah and i think yeah it, it, and that's it isn't it yeah so many things uh, and it is it, it is stripped away and 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 there's a belief system behind that that it shouldn't be fun and it should only be for this reason and it should mm. look this way and most of the things that suggest that it should be for that don't come from a healthy place they don't come from a mm. loving place. they don't come from a good place whereas actually um you know, women know that how it can be and how it should be and how it, they want it to feel. And it is a great victory against the, 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 the patriarchal systems that have stripped all that away from women to, to reclaim power. Starts at birth, goes through starting period right the way through to the menopause. All these things that have been sanitized and stripped away and taken away. Because when women connect with their bodies, when they connect with the land, when they connect with each other, magic does happen, doesn't it? You yeah. see it. And I really think that it's that connection with each other yeah. that brings the greatest power, isn't it? When you feel supported. And unfortunately, we live in a society where you know, people often talk about like the mother wound or the father wound or the witch wound, but actually there's a real thing called the sister wound where women have been pitted against women, where we have like taught to tear each other down, particularly in relationships. Oh, I would never do that, you know, that kind of energy. Um, and actually it's about healing that to feel confident in ourselves and celebrate another, to know that celebrating someone else takes nothing away from me. Actually, it just builds us up. And so to have that, I don't know, that community of people around you in any shape that feels supportive of you just we can do so much more whether it's someone bringing you a video to, uh, like a video as if you know sharing your netflix watching <laughs> a film with some muffins on your period or you know like say bringing the casserole after your period or mopping your brow as you're having a hot sweat as a hot flush you know <laughs> at menopause it's like to know that you have people that get it and that can be talked about it I mean I, I saw this little thing on um I don't know some video the other day and it was of somebody being interviewed on like breakfast tv and she's suddenly like oh I'm having a hot flash a hot flush you know and it's like and this other one was like oh my god thank you so much for sharing that we need to hear this yeah. and yeah when I was a kid you'd never have seen that on tv no. five, years ago, five years ago you wouldn't have seen that nobody would yeah. dare and now people are just like Oh, menopausing. And it's like, it seems to be everywhere. And it's like about freaking time, too. <laughs> yeah. The sisterhood's really interesting. So, women always supported women giving birth. And what would happen, you know, I mean, you know, if you're giving birth, that very occasionally it's really fast. Generally, there's large parts of labor that are quite dull. All right. There's not a lot, <laughs> but it's just three and a half days. Time. Yeah. Yeah. 
So women would come round and they'd bring food and they would be together and they would chat and keep mum company. And then there comes a point where it gets more serious, everyone gets more quiet. But generally it was a bit of a party. We would eat, you know, people, women would eat and have nice food. And then in order to take control, to get this back, and you read about this in, in a number of books, um, was that they were called, it started to be called the gossips. That's oh. where the word gossip comes from. And it was said that they were saying dreadful things and they were getting drunk and, and, and saying horrible things about men. And therefore it had to be stopped because what men didn't like was women getting together and they had this the space where they, had, where they were just having, you know, they were doing their stuff. They were sharing their wisdom. They were in their power. So the first thing to do was to give them a bad name because once yeah. you give it a bad other. name, we yeah, other yeah, another, yeah. we've othered them straight away. And then they could be written out. But it was it was a deliberate, a deliberate move to stop women supporting other women in. And then you could have the doctor come in with their power. And when you hear that, that when you read these things, that it was so deliberate and this power grab, and it makes, I think about you, but it makes me really angry. I'm like, oh, you mm. so, um, <laughs> you know, and again, deliberate attempts to split women. I love that, the sister wound, to, to make sure mm. that they were pitted against each other, that this other group of women, they were very bad and we shouldn't be near them. And they weren't actually. They were there. They were supporting mum. They were keeping it normal. They were just being around. Yeah. But no, had to be stopped. So after, obviously the book's been out for a year now and it's still available on Amazon, Womancraft Publishing, all of the good places. Obviously, the links will be in the show notes. People reading the book, how do you want them to feel by the end of it? Well, this has been the, this has been the lovely thing, has been the response to it. People have absolutely just responded to the book so positively. They have been moved by it. They've loved the wisdom. They've loved the fact that they've learned about herbs and and rituals mm. and practices there's so much about say the wrapping of the body and the rituals that we used to perform after birth and the burial of the placenta and what that looked like and what it meant and all those sorts of things in there as well but actually what they've really enjoyed is the 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 story of these relationships between the women as well the story of this um this lost world and looking at a very very familiar story with a different thing now if you haven't got to the end it, it's the end may surprise you I, I think it's 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 possibly going to be a little bit different from where you think but people are telling me that they are they are um they are feeling them they're so moved people you know it's healing their birth things i had a lovely woman who wrote to me from canada who told me about her horrendous birth experience you know 50 60 years ago and the mean things that were said to her. And she said that she had read this book and felt, her words, not mine, but the healing power of Salome. And she Aww. wrote me to say that she had actually felt so different about her birth once she had read this book. But even people who haven't given birth have, which has been really interesting because I didn't think it would resonate necessarily with people who haven't, but they have just said that they have, it's difficult to explain without trying to, trying to give away where the book end, ends, but cried, joyful. Mm. Again, it's such a an emotive book in terms of the way that the story takes you uh, by the end. It's a short read. You can read it actually. In, it's not a great. I I, I wrote to the kind of book I need to read. I haven't got time to read five hundred pages. So while I love the idea of having read the great big tome of a book, I can't read it. <laughs> so when I said I wrote the book I wanted to read, I made it readable in a fairly short period of time because I know my strengths. Um, and um, and that's what that's what's really touched me is actually is how moved people have been, how much they have enjoyed the the history. They've enjoyed the mm. they've enjoyed the learning. They've enjoyed coming out of it feeling that they know more than they went in. But it is also a book that I'm hoping leaves you with the feels, real feels, that connection to that um the, the power within the power of the collective, the the knowledge, the wisdom. The, mm. the magic of stories because they yeah. are they are live and they transmit and they inform and they educate and stories are 
Well, they're the lifeblood of humans, really, aren't they? They really are. So on that note, is there anything else you wanted to share um, about the story, about next steps for people to take? Obviously, go and check out your book, um, Birthkeeper of Bethlehem. Yes. Um, link will be in the show notes but are there any final words of wisdom you want to leave our listeners with today so if you do read it i'd love to know what you think yeah i would love to know how it how it lands with you um and and what you get from it if you can get it from the lovely woman craft publishing directly that's even better they are a very small uh very lovely and supportive uh publishing house i think you've had lucy on we've had lucy on yeah yeah and so many of the authors from there so a beautiful collection of uh stories um but i i hope that Whatever your background, whatever your origin, Christmas is such a, a thing, particularly in the UK and if you're Australian, if you're American, um, uh, listeners. And I would love it if having read this, wherever you are, you see the nativities, don't you? You see them on, you maybe see the, the, the little stable and everything up. I want you to never look at it the same again because you mm. won't, because you will see the human, the human story. And that was also something I wanted to write to. Um, Mary is very often the way that so many women access the divine feminine. Yeah, absolutely. She's the routine for so many people. And I wanted to write to her as a very human person because that's the flipping point of the story, isn't it? I mean, it's not, she's a woo, holy, you know, everything that she is very human. And I love the idea that you can look at this such a familiar story with a new wisdom and insight and understanding of the history that was not told, the story that wasn't told. Because once you understand that women have been out, your pathway to getting back into your power, your magic, your connection, your inner wisdom begins. And I think something you just there is probably more important now than ever before is the humanity of people. Yes. And to remember the humanity of people and not to ignore a group of people because they have been written in or out of history like you know like women see ya <laughs> it's like just to really focus on the humanity of the individuals yeah mm. well thank you very much for joining us today it's been